Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 176. I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me as semi-usual is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? Back from the front lines? Uh, feeling semi-usual. <laughs> just, just, just about half as, as good as usual, I guess that would be. Cool. Well, that's half as good as usual is better than most people's 145%. <laughs> so that's good news, I think, especially for off-season fantasy owners uh, who are probably delighted to hear what you have to say today. Uh, before, Briefly, before we get started, just wanted to take a quick moment just kind of acknowledge just obviously the news that struck the Cardinals organization and baseball as a whole with Oscar Tavares passing, uh, passing this past weekend in a car accident. He and his girlfriend, that's... Absolutely terrible. I mean, it hits home a little more so because we're uh, fantasy and baseball fans um, and, and that kind of thing. But it, just in general, to see you know, a, a young fellow like that uh, taken from us, and that, I mean, it happens all across the walks of, of life. Uh, but it's a terribly sad passing because so many people we can kind of consider ourselves, uh, we, we know of him. And uh, obviously, it's a terrible thing uh, for. Uh, that community, especially the the Cardinals organization, and uh, also should not go without mention, of course, that the the Giants did win the World Series. Uh, this happened what about twelve hours? Well, no, about fifteen to eighteen hours ago. Uh, Eno is still in the midst of celebration. That's actually why uh, he is. Uh, well, actually, it's probably more so your family, correct? As you uh, you mentioned just before. <laughs> beforehand so maybe you're playing chaperone to uh a lot of family members and their uh crazy champagne bottle poppings and stuff like that well you know um no i actually i just wanted to say that i agree i feel badly um for Tavares's family and, and for the cardinals family and um i saw that they left the uh the lights on in right field overnight uh one night in, in honor of him and i thought that was an interesting gesture you know, it's a it's a tough tough thing because, you know, he had a he had a he had a hot car and um, he had a nice young life and uh, you know who knows what happened that night. Uh, but I know that um, you know even just driving a car like that in uh, in those countries can be a hazard to your health. I know that mm -hmm. you know from my experience in Jamaica, uh, you either get robbed for it or. Uh, you know those roads aren't very good in a lot of those a lot of those uh, countries. So, uh, like I said, I wasn't there. Uh, I feel badly for him um, and for his family. So uh, that was a sad, sad moment. But um, yeah, the funny thing is that the Giants thing is a sad moment for much of America. From what I gather, um, you know the the forces were marshaled against the Giants just because they'd won before. And, you know, I wonder. I don't really see them as um, the big bad Yankee dynasties. Um, that uh, used to just really bother me back in the day, or, or Michael Jordan's uh, Bulls teams. Uh, those are the teams that, as a kid, I was always like, oh, why do they always win? And, um, <laughs> and I just get so mad at them. I Maybe maybe you could be the same way about the Giants. Three and five years doesn't 
quite have the same ring to it, but maybe there's something frustrating about the fact that they've done it now on a wild card, and sometimes they don't seem like the best team in baseball, and there they are, they've won. So um, yeah, I can see how some people um, were rooting against them, and it's it's fair. But, you know, I live in Northern California, so <laughs> the, my whole family is, is Giants fans, and they were pretty excited about this. And what Bumgarner did, I think, um, probably mitigates some of the, like, uh, stupid Giants, you know. I mean, Bumgarner, that's a top, what, one, two, three uh, postseason pitching performance of all time? Yeah, it has to be. I mean, my goodness. that You're talking, if, if you watch the World Series, if you watch all these, I mean, games one, five, and seven, that's that's history. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's the kind of performance that's going to stand up for 25, well, presumably. 25 50 100 years i would think i mean just incredible it was i think the world series was Bumgarner's sandbox and the rest of the players were kind of just allowed to occasionally move some sand around uh i mean the giants the rest of the giants pitching was terrible yeah, I yeah. Mean, it was just you know it was, they they weren't getting anything done so it was uh kind of amazing i mean you know if you think about it rationally if you kind of try to take these pitchers out of their park and think about it. You're, you're talking about a 39 year old Tim Hudson uh, going up against an American League lineup. You're talking about a 30, 35, 36 year old Jake Peavy who looked washed up in Boston. So, you know, Vogelsong who, who you know had to go to, to to Japan and back in order to to finally uh, get a get a spot in the rotation. I feel like, you know, you kind of knew this going in. In fact, I said to a beat writer at one point, this would be the worst Giants team to have won. Um, you know, they really just, the first time through, they had a, two, maybe three aces with uh, Kane, Linsicum, and Bumgarner, and they just had to scratch together some, some offense. The second time through, Linsicum was done, but they still had Kane and Bumgarner. This time, Kane was done, and they still made it somehow. So... Amazing. 260 innings out of Bumgarner, though. You have to think, you know, I haven't seen a lot of research done on just pure innings, but you have to think that that's a lot of bullets um, thrown. And, you know, just last season we were just talking about Koji Uehara. He just got re-signed for two years and $18 million in Boston. But we were talking about how he was tired. I heard from people within Boston organization that he was tired. Uh, and that was after he threw 70 innings for the first time in his career. So, um, I hope that they find a way in spring to to to, to give Bumgarner some rest, um, or they may find some uh, you know fifteen day stints to give him some rest next season. Yeah, um, that's that's interesting, and I I thought it would be briefly worth talking about is just you know what is the outlook for Bumgarner? I think it's actually two hundred seventy innings because I'm, I'm not mistaken, he pitched fifty two in the postseason that roundabouts. Right, and then two two seventeen in the regular season, so two hundred. Oh uh, yeah, and so and two basically two hundred innings in the season before because the Giants missed the postseason. Um, yeah, I think I mean that, I, if I recall correct, I mean that's that's the approach that the Phillies took uh, with Cole Hamels and a couple of seasons after uh, he uh, some long postseasons and he experienced some trouble. It's it's hard to say that he they're the same type of pitcher, but somewhat similar performances and, and length. And we've seen that from other pitchers. Um, how much of the fact, you know, clearly it'd be nice to see, <laughs> nice to see him get a nice four or five month break. Uh, and they ease him into spring training where he doesn't get the same kind of, uh, 
number of outings or, or nearly as long outings even as some of the rest of the pitchers for the rotation because it yeah it's if I recall correctly, I think no other Giants starter went more than like three innings and in, in, or three or four innings in any start or something like that. Or they pitched a composite of like less total innings the other the other starters than what Bumgarner pitched on his own. It's just absolutely incredible. I mean, he put him on they he put him on his back, and Giants offense was pretty good as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I wish I wish I had like a, a study to pull pull up right now and just say, you know, how concerned hangover effect. But um, he's still young is the problem. I mean, you could you know you don't want to get too far into it because he's 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 twenty five. I mean, he's younger than Jake Degrom. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and uh, by that time, uh, by the time we get into starting pitchers to analyze, I'm sure you will have an, an opportunity to have found that study, so we can certainly get uh, deeper into him. Or run it myself. But on third baseman, right? Yes, yes. In the meantime, we do want to talk about third baseman and the season rankings. Uh, Zach Sanders' rankings came out at the beginning of this week, uh, as you would expect. Um, before we briefly get into him, mentioned on the previous podcast with Zach. Uh, that was just a follow-up that when we talked about first baseman, Chris Davis was eligible at third base. And now we are talking about third baseman. So next year, Chris Davis will be eligible at third base. One of the one of the many eligibility things that will be – I mean, of course, Carlos Santana will be eligible at third base. There will be a lot, a lot of interesting stuff going into next season. Uh, but uh, that is something to keep in mind. And really what we could talk about as far as the third baseman go is, first of all, the leader. And, of course, he was also a top-ranked second baseman. But uh, Anthony Rendon coming off easily the best-earning season of a player whose primary position was third base. And certainly not a player that anybody paid that much for. And so um, – but we know that the – pedigree of the player and there were a lot there was a lot of interest in him as a kind of a later round guy guy you could pick as a middle infielder i mean this is certainly one of the best returns on fantasy ownership this season it's kind of hard to doubt this performance isn't it i mean do you see it getting better do you see it i mean it's hard to see it getting much worse uh, i think on a consistent basis based on the type of player and skill set and uh, age yeah, I mean, if we're talking WRC plus runs, runs created, if we're talking about you know Waba and, and what he's going to do at the plate, yeah, I think he'll he'll get a little better. I, I see some growth in terms of power still. Um, he was kind of touted as a as a power guy coming out of um, Rice, uh, but in any case, uh, he's definitely a, a power guy and uh, you know top pick, sixth pick overall, um, and. Um, and his minor league, I looked at his minor league ISO, and it's it only came in 326 plate appearances, so he really didn't spend much time in minor leagues. But I think that also speaks well to him. I mean, he just blew through the minor leagues, and the only question was injury, and you know now he's showing he, he's been healthy for a year. So his minor league ISO was about 262. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that he, he can do that in the major leagues. But right. What I'm saying is that he had a 186 ISO last year. He's projected for 172. Uh, that's the one place where I think the projections may be surprised. Uh, the, the two places that I uh, see some regression are, you know, stolen bases, 17. You know, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to keep that up for very long. No, that seems um, like purely a, a case of opportunity and whatever else. Yeah, you know, I don't. Uh, the speed score at six point four 
is above average, but it's not really a speedster. So, um, you know, and, and Steamer projects him to regress down to 11 stolen bases. I could see it even dropping further to eight or nine. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then also the run scored, you know, maybe maybe that's not something to worry about too much because maybe he scores fewer runs and drives in more runs next year. Maybe he's a guy that can put up close to 200 combined between the two and it mixes, the mix will just change as they change his spot in the lineup. I mean, he's definitely a guy who's going to hit in the top four. Mm-hmm. So maybe I don't need to worry about that too much. But, yeah, some regression in stolen bases. I say he's going to make up for that with some more power. Steamer says he won't. Um, yeah, it seems like a case where Steamer is strictly – I mean, it's it's straight regressing here and kind of be – whereas I think it's one of these cases where you could – kind of subjectively interject and and uh, be a little more optimistic even, at least in terms of, like you said, the power numbers. I mean, I think that's yeah. easily reasonable. Well, you know, Steamer's looking at the numbers, and so they're going to look at – they don't have a large sample uh, of minor league numbers to look at. Mm-hmm. So they're probably going to discount, you know, the 152 innings of AA with the 284 ISO aren't going to be that important to, to Steamer. Um, and more important is going to be the – the the rookie season where he, he had a 131 ISO, but um, I just like a 200. I think I could see him doing that, and that would be about 25 homers. 20, so you know, back of the envelope, 280 hitter, 25 homers. Um, you know, eight, nine, ten stolen bases. That's really nice. I mean, that's that's that might be tops of the position again. Yeah, at third base, that's going to be outstanding. And I mean, he should carry second base eligibility in the next season. So that's probably going to add a little entry. I, I mean, basically, you look at Rendon as unless the health things come up, he's a player that he's, it seems like he has already entered the tier and confidently so that when you spend the money, you feel confident spending it, as opposed to there are certainly some other players. Well, uh, I mean, just look at the, the rest of the top. I think Todd Frazier, I, I just wrote about him this week. I exactly, him, that's a great example. <laughs> I've seen him regressing to at least a similar home run total as Rendon. Uh, yeah, I think I, I would say that a very interesting over-under would be, you know, pick one for homers next year. I think a lot of people would take Frazier, but I think the regression for him would be just as hard as any possible growth out of Rendon. Um, so I think that those guys will end up very close in homers, and I believe Frazier's 20 stolen bases even less than, than Rendon's. And then you look at their ages, Frazier's 28. So he's post-peak on everything. The aging curve is just pushing all of his numbers down. Um, you know, more of a strikeout guy. Not going to give you the same walks to turn into runs in RBI. So, you know, I guess a walk doesn't turn into an RBI, but it can turn into a run. Uh, Josh Donaldson is older. Um, you know, you're probably going to chalk him down for, few, for a lower batting average because of his strikeouts. Adrian Beltre is the oldest man ever. Um, and, uh, and then Kyle Seeger... While I like him, I don't see him, especially in that park, I don't see him pushing um, the batting average high enough. The stolen bases have already dropped off. Um, you know, I, I actually like Seeger, you know, without context, as a very sort of similar player to Rendon, a guy who can spray it to all fields with good power, um, you know, a smart player. But... Um, you know, just the ballparks are, are different, different enough where I'll, I'd take Rendon easily. So there's nobody there that's making me think that Rendon wouldn't be number one. Evan Longoria, I think, you know, enough of the shine came off. 
that you you can't put him number one. So and then David yeah. Wright, you know, the the power is such an open question mark that I would I only want David Wright if it comes uh, at a discount. Right. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I th- <clears throat> I think Frazier. I actually I would I tend to give Frazier a little more uh, because Frazier has he has stolen double digit bases. Uh, uh, multiple times uh, a couple of them were in minor league seasons but uh, he did it in short amounts of playing time i guess i look at it that as i don't want to say it's um a lock like but double digit stolen bases where like, i i feel a lot more confident projecting 10 i guess um whereas whereas for rendon it's different but i think yeah i mean I think the steamer projection maybe even is uh not generous enough in terms of playing time if, especially if you believe like you said you believe that he's going to be healthy, but still 20 home runs is about where I'd put it uh, as far as. Both of them, right? I mean, 20 to 20, you know, 22, 23. I don't know. I don't, I don't see that Frazier at 29 years old. I don't even, I think, I think even tw- like, I think right around 20, I wouldn't even like, I, I think I, because I, I guess I, part of it is I, I've seen so many examples and I guess this is, this is just, I mean, this is purely empirical. Um, but like, we have too many. I mean, this is this is more extreme than a Chase Headley. But um, where yeah. it's eight, nine, thirty-one, thirteen, thirteen. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess Frazier you could say a, Frazier had a huge sample size. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge sample size going into this of you know of a twenty-eight-year-old who you know had already spent uh, twelve hundred plate appearances in, in the major leagues uh, with you know one power. Uh, set up and then all of a sudden you know added 10 homers yeah as i mean as your blog said i mean there's there's nothing different about fraser other than it seemed like he hit the ball a little harder there's nothing different as any of his i mean it's it's kind of uncanny when you put those when you uh that little table you had in your blog that the <laughs> all those different um play discipline walk strikeout rate things like that like it's it was it was it was pretty funny um, Donaldson, as you said, batting average risk, you know, he's a reliable source of power. Is there, is there any reason to think that the batting average could get better? I mean, he seems, I mean, right-handed hitters are generally tougher to shift, things like that. I, I, I can't help but think that it's got, it can be a little better that, you know, he can't hit above 260. I mean, it was really low average on balls in play, but we've seen that from him before. That's not terribly unusual. So it's like, what is it that prevents him? From getting over the help, we've, yeah, we've seen him slump you know, for a month at a time. It seems like you you could say like, oh well, he had a thirteen and a half percent line drive rate last year, um, and uh, and and you could use that as uh, you know uh, uh, to say that something's wrong. But it, line drive rate is one of the worst stats um, from year to year. So mm-hmm. you know, it was he hitting the ball hard? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> he still had this, he had a better isolated slugging percentage than he had the year before. Um, you know, did he have some sort of breakdown at the plate? No. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of the same thing with Fraser. Where it's like everything's about the same. <laughs> for batting average, yeah. and you know, batting average on balls in play dropped sixty points. I'd say the truth is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and for what it's worth, like they, Steamer's regressing his power down to 183 ISO next year, and that's partially why he only bounces to a 260 average. 
if you think that he can keep up this 190 to 200 ISO, you know, another year or so, I mean, he is 28, um, but uh, it isn't the same thing as Fraser, where it was like, you know, 160, 170, 190. It's more like 200, 200. You know, what's going to happen next? So, I think uh, I take the over on Steamer's isolated slugging percentage. Um, which will help his batting average and his slugging percentage. So I think he could hit 265 next year with 25 homers, five stolen bases, uh, 350 on base percentage. Uh, that sounds to me like uh, it's just not going to it's not going to uh, push Rendon for first. Yes, sir. But uh, it'll it's top three, top four. I mean, um, Beltre, you have to regress the average a little bit. Um, Seager, you know, I think he can do a similar next year. So Seager, I think Seager versus Donaldson will be very interesting next year. What I just said was two sixty five, twenty five five, which is pretty much what Seager put up this year. Yeah, yeah, so, that sounds dead on for Seager. And you know, for what it's worth, Fraser, uh, I think would be, you know, something similar. Uh, you know, maybe a couple less homers and a couple more stolen bases. So, you know, Fraser, Donaldson, Seager. All seem very similar. Belcher to me is a real, real wild card. I don't know how to project him because you know it's funny. I'm about to say this because when I when you look at their preseason ranks next to their end of season ranks, the only guys that were taken high up that um, you know the only top 12 guys that ended up with top 12 numbers were Donaldson, who was preseason six and ended up third. Mm-hmm. Beltry, who was preseason three and ended up fourth, so he was the he gets the award for <laughs> most of the thought he was going to be. Um, and uh, Longoria, preseason five, ends up seven. That might surprise some people, um, and because the, you know power just went down everywhere, so his twenty two homers would just look better than thought it was. <laughs> but, and, uh, a, a league average two fifty three yeah. batting average is not that painful. <laughs> turns right, out, yeah, all of a sudden. Um, and then Pablo Sandoval is exactly who we thought he was. <laughs> nine, end of season nine. So actually, he gets the award now. Yeah, he definitely gets the award. But anyway, uh, <laughs> having said that, I doubt this happens again for next year for Beltre, just because he's 35, and you know it's just hard to to believe that he's going to keep doing this. I mean, you are, you can already see the bell curve happening with his power. Um, he's Dropped off in power four straight years, or I guess one, two, three, three straight years. So I, I think you're starting to see it go with the power. Um, I think next year you could start to see it go with the strikeout rate a little bit. I have no idea why he just put up a career best walk rate um, at his age, but uh, just guessing could be something to do with the fact that the rest of the uh, Rangers lineup was on the disabled list. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly not something I would view that as a total. I would uh, kind of I would discount that in the in the weight uh, when doing projections. Totally, you know, it is one thing that the players really disagree with the numbers and the research. They just say that they don't. They think there is something to lineup protection, and it, you know, if you just think about it, like logically, if you're the pitcher and you see Adam Rosales behind Eltry. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. There's got to be something there. I mean, maybe it's just hard. The reason I think it might be hard is because sometimes you say, uh, let's say there's a good hitter behind you. Let's say there's a better hitter behind Adrian Beltre. Let's say Prince Fielder is behind Adrian Beltre. Then you say, you could say, 
Well, I guess you would say you would want to bear down and you'd want to really get the guy out because you don't want to face Fielder with Beltre on. Mm-hmm. Um, but bearing down is, you know, there's all these different ways to do it. You know, there's different pitches you can throw. Are you, is he going to see more fastballs? You can see more balls in the zone or out. I mean, the, basically, is the question. The question is, you want you basically want to get every batter out. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out. Uh, it turns out, right? So, if, you know, I guess what I'm saying is though, if Adam Rosales is behind Adrian Beltre and Adrian Beltre is the biggest power threat in that lineup, and nobody else can hit the homer, then you're then you are going to dance around him a little bit. Let's I, see what his zone zone percentage was. I was I always think of. I've always I've always kind of thought that, like you said, uh, logically there seems to be something more to it than that. And I always start I started to wonder if maybe I mean I think when you take um, lineup analysis and things like that, you try to make a, big, a sample size big, and I think that those things seem to work. Like those things almost seem better in smaller samples, where like part of it is going to depend on how well the player behind may be performing. If you're talking about a mid level player. Uh, as opposed to, I mean, if it's an elite performer, and generally that player is probably "quote unquote" feared uh, right. well, on a regular basis, no matter how he's hitting. But I mean, like all those things are circumstantial, so the context around the lineup position is going to change a lot yeah. more often than normalization over a long period where you're talking. That's why like, it wouldn't show up in the numbers, right? I think that that's, I think that's that's a, at least a possibility. Um, well, I wonder if somebody's running with zone percentage in particular because. Look at it. Beltre's zone percentage, career worst. And, so, yeah, I mean, he just he just saw fewer balls in the zone. And the, the lineup was terrible around him. So you know, so I say uh, that means uh, lower walk rate, lower on base percentage. Um, you know, his career on base percentage is three thirty. So uh, you know, Steamer says he's going to hit twenty five homers next year. I'm a little worried about that. I, I mean, would... he's thirty five years old. That's true. I, I wouldn't have a whole lot of problem. That would be pushing it, I think, but I wouldn't have a whole lot of proje- problem projecting that because the that's probably something where I'm maybe I'm too forgiving for the ballpark. But it's, I mean, I might be able to hit a home run at uh, whatever they're calling Rangers ballpark nowadays, Globe Life Park. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think overall it is a player. 36, 30, 19. Yeah, that's it's it, it is pretty. Dis- I mean, I think what what you're saying or what you seem to be saying to me or is the way I'm getting the feel is like I, I get this feeling because I don't. I, I think there comes a point where a player does so many things for so many years in a row where people forget his age and like next year Beltre may not cost much less than he has in previous seasons and so somebody is still going to pay right. and he's probably going to be overvalued. That's why, and that's why I'm I'm surprised I'm saying this in a year where he did manage to return almost the exact same value that you put into him. Right. Um, I'm just worried that I don't know when the year is he won't do that. And I actually have thought while the season was happening, I thought this would be the year uh, because you know he wasn't scoring the runs, he wasn't scoring the RBI, and I thought you know if he if the batting average was any lower, then you know he could have really dropped. But um, yeah, I just, I just, uh, I don't think I'm going to pay the premium on the name. No. So if you know, if I miss out, if it's like a snake draft thing, and I miss out on Rendon, um, because someone takes him in the first or second round, um, would I take Rend- Would you take Rendon in the second round? I think, I think I would. As a second baseman, you know, I think I would. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, to top it off, just the, op the option to put him at second or a third base yeah. because both positions, I mean, especially more so thir third base, I think, is almost a little more concerning, at least like the depth. There's depth in second base, even though the t typically the production, we don't see it as quite as good, but there are, oh. di there are typically different types of statistics you can get at second base, such as stolen bases and things like that. Like, it just it really depends. Okay. But I, I think I'd, either way, I see him as a top. I think in a fifteen, I think in a in a fifteen team mixed league, he's a probably a first rounder, like at the tail end or something. Tail end, yeah. Look how bad uh, third base is uh, at the bottom there. It's got really bad. I I like Arenado, but Ploof is right ahead of him, and you know with Sano coming, I'm really nervous about that. And um, yeah, Ploof and Arenado, I think next year will have the plate appearances to blow Ploof out the water. So mm -hmm. you know at the bottom you're looking at Ploof, Chisholm, McGee. Prado, Aramis Ramirez, I, you know, Dave Wright's going to zoom up. So for your sort of 11, 12th, uh, 13th, 14th kind of guys, you're looking at some bad options. I mean, Chisholm Hall, if the, if the line drives aren't there, he's going to be terrible. He's a little bit Chris Johnson-esque. You've yeah. got Plouffe, who's basically a right-hander that, you know, would be much better if you could use him just against lefties. McGee has no power. Uh, Prado has... A little bit more power and might be my pick if I was stuck, you know, in shopping in that in that district. But Pedro Alvarez, we don't even know. I think Prado is going to be Prado is going to be like whatever the Yankees do roster wise is going to determine what kind of buy Prado is like because like on his own, if he comes into the season with an everyday job, he's not terribly exciting. But um I think it's like ultimately as long as he's not considered – if he comes in as almost a super utility player because of A-Rod and say they re-sign Chase Headley and so, or something else like that, like – Yeah, that would suck. Prado becomes uh, – I mean they have – but they have to spend money elsewhere, so it seems pretty unlikely. Like they're, Probably an outfielder. They're... Yeah, I mean he, he, you know, he, he's – I just – I think that section of names sucks. <laughs> there's not there's not a name I want on it. I mean around Ramirez used to be a guy that I picked up every year but he's so old right now i don't want i don't want to buy next year from around Ramirez. you know uh i don't want chisholm hall i don't want mcgee prado might be the guy i pick i think i would keep going heading south um you know you wrote a nice piece about headley i feel like you know, headley if he stayed in yankee stadium um might be somebody i pick up uh just just wait to the very end of the draft and you know i still have a soft spot for brett larry we've talked about him a lot but uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, there are there are going to be names. I mean, I'm not as keen. I'm not sure where I feel on, for instance, on Manny Machado right now. I mean, I guess you could be a little more optimistic because the injury occurred earlier this season. They say it's not quite as serious. He's already supposed to be ready to run, things like that. Still a scary player to me overall, but there are some players down the ranks, obviously, that we can jump back up. Um, but they're all huge question marks <laughs> or, not, yeah. or, or not terribly exciting. As well. I mean, I, I think you know, just a peek into next year, you're gonna you're gonna jump David Wright uh, back into the top ten, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, you might push Josh Harrison to the bottom of the top ten. Uh, you'll probably push Trevor Plouffe out of the top ten. So rather, rather quickly. <laughs> I push him out rather quickly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So uh, so your top ten will will reshuffle the guys that are, are that were top ten at the end of season. And add David Wright, um, and then uh, and then 
next uh, for me are Manny Machado, uh, Brett Lowry, and Martin Prado. Martin Prado. Those are my those are my three that somehow go from eleven to thirteen. You know, I'm not sure what order. Right. Um, maybe uh, and then I guess I would put uh, Aramis maybe fourteen, and then Castellanos around fifteen. I guess. Uh, oh, and Headley Headley belongs in there somewhere too. So those are the guys I'm looking at. Uh, you know, at the bottom of third base, and I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if if ten through fifteen at second base looks a little bit better. Now, and it's interesting. You know, we we talk about how kind of disturbing outside the top eight through ten or so in third base get. Does that does that drive up um, the value in in paying the premium for Beltrade? Because I still view him as a reliable. Like say say he's um, forget Steamer other than the fact that, uh, say it's a 290 batting average with 20 home runs, that's still pretty good. And I might, you know, do I pay an extra dot? You know, I do I pay, I don't know, uh, in a mixed league, say he's ordinarily went for 25 to 30, and now, like, do you pay the 20 to 25 to avoid that mess? I mean, I think it's a legitimate question, at least. Like, there's no way to answer that because it, is uh, we're not drafting at this moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at this list uh, from the perspective of American League only. You know where, you know, you really need to sort of pay the right guys that premium. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it does look a little different from the prism of like AL labor, for example, because if you're looking at AL third baseman, there's Donaldson, Beltre, and Seager, and then <laughs> and Longoria, yeah. yeah. And then you're talking about Kloof. Mm-hmm. And all the likes. Or you're taking the chance on Brett Lowry. I mean, that's probably what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. Just I just hate to be – I just don't want to be – I might have to throw Lowry early. You know what I'm saying? I right. might have to throw Lowry early just so I know what's going on. Because if there's someone else who loves Lowry in that room, I'm screwed. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to push my number on him. Right. I need to get him at my number or below. And um, so if I don't get Laurie, then, yeah, I do want to buy into um, Donaldson, Beltre, Seager. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great that's a great idea, actually. I might be throwing third baseman really in labor next year. There's always Mike Moustakas. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, uh, he did hit five home runs in the postseason. Uh I know. <laughs> which is like isn't that more than he hit in the regular season anyway um but, and it but it also like i think because of the like i remember the talk coming into the season that oh get matt carpenter in his last season of eligibility as second base because you're not going to want to win he's a third baseman and is he maybe he's really not that bad even as a third baseman <laughs> i mean wow. the I, I mean, thought you were going to a different place where, like, oh, he's terrible at both, but no, no. right. <laughs> End of season eighth. I mean, he it's not. runs again. He was still, you know, according to Zach's rankings, he still, you know, he came in just under ten dollars. But I guess, like, I, I mean, I think people, he's, he's not like he's not a bad option, like in terms of, hey, if I'm going to settle for something, that playing time is pretty is is pretty reliable. Yeah. And with his skill set, you know, you could actually, yeah, I mean, Steamer has him for a higher batting average on balls in play next year. 
And you could actually push that a little bit higher considering that he was near close to 350 in the first couple of years. So, um, and next year he could even be more of an asset with batting average. He's always going to be, it looks like he's always going to be an asset with runs because they're going to put him at the top of their lineup. Yeah. And that doesn't seem like a bad idea considering, uh, how prone he is to walk. I mean, the, it's a, it's a super plus OBP. So, yeah. It's such a sneaky skill set, though. The guy who doesn't do anything but get you runs, you're just kind of like, really? <laughs> <laughs> that is, it is, it is pretty unexciting. If, if you don't pay much for it, though. Right, yeah. And it's who's, a category. Right. If, if um, it's, it's uh, you know, it might be, a, you, you could say coming off the season, he might have been a little overvalued, but next season, he's, not, he's probably going to be valued. He's just, you know, he's going to be at value. So, we obviously don't really care for Plouffe. Uh, we have our we have our doubts about Chisholm, McGee, uh, Nick Castellanos, and I thought Brett Talley's blog on him was he's. I, I agree with his assessment. I think that there is a, a significant room for his batting average to prove. I always thought that he had a, he was a player with more power too, but I guess maybe that's that's much less of a certainty. And I mean, overall, is he does he not look like as attractive? I mean, like he could be, like if you're talking about that crappy tier from 11 to 15, like maybe just why not wait on a player like Cassianos and kind of cross your fingers at that instead? Yeah, I think you know, I think if I did do the lottery plan, it'd be nice to have like Cassianos at my corner infield, mm-hmm. um, you know, to have something with some upside. Um, just in case everything doesn't work out or in case my second baseman doesn't work out and I have to move Laurie to the middle infield or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that um, in any case, when you, when you, when you are taking sleepers, I think quantity is huge. So, you know, if you do, if you do go with the Lowry plan, I think Cassianos is an interesting, I guess I'd call it handcuff, but I, you know, there's a lot there that's confounding to me and I can, I can understand why, uh, you know, David Lorela um, actually ended up, I don't know, he's not calling out, but just said, you know, Brett, you know, let's put money down on this. Um, you think that he's a waiver wire guy. I hope that Lorela wasn't misunderstanding. I think, you know, Lorela understands that this is road wrap. So <laughs> I think Lorela thinks this is a middle of the lineup bat that's going to be, you know, runs an RBI, good batting average, and, and just going to be a good player going forward. And I think. He's probably reacting to a lot of the scouts, and the scouts always liked him. They thought that the bat was great, and he had a great hit tool, um, and he had a good sense of the zone, and that the rest would get figured out. So, you know, what I didn't understand about them saying he had a great hit tool is that he didn't ever really have great strikeout rates, and I thought a great hit tool would come with a great strikeout rate. Um, and then we then he comes up here, and he's got, you know, a high whiff rate, bad strikeout rate, bad batting average, and yet... You know, Tally talked about this. He had a 28% line drive rate. I mean, that's one of the best in the big. So, you know, there there is something there. There's definitely something there. And it, you don't want to discount it too much. It kind of feels a little bit like the Rendon situation where we had a guy who came up, did something that, you know, hinted at what the scouts were saying. Yeah. But also was bad in a way that makes a lot of people look the other way. You know what I mean? Like, I think 
Rendon's uh, first year was okay. It was pretty good. But, you know, I think he did he get hurt. He got hurt and, you know, just didn't have a plate appearance. And so people said, oh, gosh, I mean, yeah, Rendon, okay. But he's going to get hurt all the time. And he wasn't that great anyway. He had a 131 ISO. He's going to be a guy who hits 15 homers and gets hurt for half the season. So I had no mind. So you can look at Castellanos and say, oh, you know what, yeah, he, he played okay. But, you know, too many strikeouts and, you know, didn't really have that much power, you know, forget Castellanos. So it's not really a great parallel, but there is something there where it's like the scouts always love Rendon and Rendon busted out in a big way. The scouts really uh, liked Castellanos and you can see, you know, in the line drive right why they might have liked him. Yeah, I think that's a that's actually that's that's a really nice kind of analogy for him. He's a poor man's Rendon older um, so, I mean, there's not going to be the same type of power breakout or anything like that. Well, I shouldn't say older. I mean, he's uh, a lot more time in the minor leagues and yeah. not necessarily more, that. More stats. Right. More size behind him. But also some some slightly better power numbers in minor leagues. So. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, strikeout rate, We at least you can see in the minor leagues as he aged, the strikeout rate did kind of descend and then uh strikeout rate i mean what is it it peaks like it gets to your lowest point and uh i mean at this point it's kind of the aging curve on this is it's going up for in his case the strikeout percentage should kind of naturally decline a little yeah i mean he's pretty he's pre-peak for strikeout rate it's, it's something i researched for um stanton and i think the peak is around 25 26 so yeah, he's got he's got some years to improve that strikeout rate. Steamer has him at nineteen point seven, which would be better than average. So he's already Steamer itself is already fairly bullish with a two seventy uh, batting average, three twenty on base percentage, thirteen homers. That's that's decent. And then if you add, you know, um, maybe a little Babbitt love because maybe he's going to have a twenty two twenty three percent line drive rate next year. Uh, because of this hit tool, and then maybe you add a little bit of uh, isolated slugging, a little bit of power love. So now you're looking at a guy who might hit 280 next year with 15 to 18 homers. And that's kind of what I was looking for out of Rendon. I mean, mm-hmm. I I bought into Rendon hard, as much as I could, everywhere I could. But I didn't think it would turn out the way it did. You know I, mean? <laughs> I thought it would be, I'm buying a 280 uh, second baseman who can uh, hit 18 homers and steal some bases. So I'd say the same thing for for Castellanos. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong uh, if he hits you know 16 homers next year and doesn't quite you know have the Rendon breakout. But you know I think Castellanos might be one of my uh, bold predictions actually. Yeah, there's there's some there's some room to profit I think in a purchase because I don't I think overall my impression is generally the fantasy community I would think would view him as a player who is not he's already kind of viewed as not a, not as quite as good as the numbers and maybe that's maybe yeah. i'm a little co- too quick to rush the judgment as far as what other people think of them well they're probably you know i just i don't want to be a hypocrite i, I did earlier say i don't want to look too hard at donaldson's low line drive rate and now i'm right. talking about cassianos but it's a little bit different because you know with with donaldson you have a track record of of great uh line drive rates and it, with cassianos the track record is is basically a little bit more on the scouting side. I mean, you do have minor league numbers, but you would weigh uh, any scouting that, about Castellanos heavier, heavier than you would with Donaldson, right? Because right. Donaldson's more of a, of a, 
You he's know? past prime, or he's in. At yeah. Very least, he's in prime. I mean, there's there's he's no point. He's a sculpted being. He's a guy we know who he is. Uh, whereas Castellanos, we there's a lot more question marks. So you can turn to the scouts a little bit more. And since the scouts always said he had a great hit tool, that's that's definitely um, you know. And, and this is the post hype heap sleeper thing. If the, if it's cheap enough, I'm willing to go post hype sleeper to the extent that I want Brett Lowry. I mean, that guy. <laughs> Is like post, 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 post. I <laughs> and he's still how, now. How old? I want to. I want to say he's, he's like young. he's thirty, right? He's got to be like thirty <laughs> years old. No, no, no. He'll be twenty-five next season. I mean, he's still he's still at peak age, which I think is probably so. It has to be surprising to someone. I mean, he came up at twenty-one. I think like yeah, it's it, it is easy to forget with some of these guys how young they still are. Yeah. I think it's a big deal with the college high school guys. It's like, you know, because we have all these guys coming up and half half of them are college and half of them are high school, we think, oh, when you come up, you're, you know, you're 23 or something. But no, you know, the high school guys come up, they're 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, and now I'm just like sort of scrolling through the deep sleepers for for guys at the very bottom, you know, Will Middlebrooks is there. I kind of think that the Red Sox are considering figuring something out at third base, you know? Yeah. You know, they're they're rumored to be in on um they're rumored to be in on Pablo Sandoval. They were playing uh Chechini? Chechini? Don't ask uh, me because that's not what I'm I, I'm I'm certain about pronouncing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's always uh, Chase Headley uh, out there, so um, uh, I, I, I'm not going to uh, put too much stock into Will Middlebrooks as a sleeper next year until um, you know more of the Red Sox situation um, figures itself out. I'm way beyond Middlebrooks as a sleeper. I was a, this past season, definitely, and and even mostly so the year before, because I was never I was never much of Middlebrooks guy. So it'll be hard to convince me. Like I would, I take Middlebrooks a reserve pick as a reserve pick next year, and I'm sure he will cost a couple of bucks in a, in labor, for instance. Or that's the way that's the way it would shake out. Not to say that I would get a chance to draft him, but that's kind of the right. So. I mean, yeah. Oh, so you'd you'd want him as reserve, and he will cost twenty two bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the problem too. And in, in seeing the context of what we're talking about, here's a here's a guy. You might think he's young, but he's twenty six. So um, you know, you could say like he's still in his peak range, but what he's given us in the last two years should be should tell us something about his peak range, and it's been a bad strikeout rate. And not a good walk rate, and not really that good defense, and you know, middling babips, and just it's not much to hang your hat on there. I mean, yes, he did have a lot of power the first two uh, goes through, but um, last year was so bad that you just have to wonder how much dedication they have uh, to him. You know, especially with all the rumors of. They're looking at other situations, and so um, maybe I, maybe we should touch on quickly, like for the guys who exceed. I mean, uh, perhaps I don't want to say. I guess quote unquote exceeded expectations. Uh, Plouffe, like you said, I mean, Sano is certainly a guy who will probably be pretty much on his heels. Um, 
but is there anything else? I mean, besides that, I mean, he at least he basically had this uh, is, is <laughs> I think it's pretty incredible that he uh, this has to be kind of the same factor as the as Kurt Suzuki, a catcher, um, but. Ploof bats about the same as far as average and hits 14 home runs, plays in only seven more games and scores a lot more and drives in a lot more runs. And I guess that could be also batting order position related, but it's not a real attractive player. I guess it's in part because the bat, I mean, it is a bad batting average and profile. Is there, um, is there any other reason to say though we don't really like Ploof beside, besides the fact that Sano is kind of, knocking on the door at some point you figure yeah, he's close to making a debut sometime next year, but he's going to have to prove that he's healthy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, he just, so, the big, the power is so big and he's already done double a, um, I, I figure so is going to be up next year. So that definitely factors in. Otherwise, yes, there's a little bit of something. I mean, I, I enjoyed interviewing him. He's a smart guy, and he is doing his best to uh, make the most of his skill set. So um, I do do have confidence in him to sort of retain the good walk rate, um, you know, make good contact, um, you know, show middling power. Uh, I just don't, you know, I don't like the fact that he's right-handed. Yeah, um, and this puts him on the wrong side, uh, platoon spit wise. Um, you know, against uh, right-handers for his career, he's uh, he here against right-handers for his career. He's a two thirty-three hitter uh, with a two ninety-four on base percentage and a one sixty ISO. And, uh, yes, last year was the first year he had a sort of representative batting average of balls in play. And he did make some strides last year. It was the best year for him in terms of strikeout rate, second best year in terms of walk rate, um, second best year in terms of isolated slugging. So he did, you know, make some strides last year. Last year was the first time he was above average against righties. Um, so maybe now is not necessarily the time to bring it up, but, you know, one-year platoon splits aren't that valuable right? You know, in terms of statistical profiles. They're just not that valuable. And then platoon splits in general, you regress towards the league average um, you know, uh, until there are about 2,000 plate appearances. So um, this is know, given that he's right-handed, he should have some sort of platoon uh, split. And then since he's already had an observed platoon split for his career, he's going to be basically – he's he's going to be projected to have a bad platoon split against righties next year, or, or just he's not going to be as good against righties as he will against lefties. So then he just, that makes him just harder to use, you know? Right. He didn't, he didn't make this advance at age 22, 23, 24. He made this at 28 going on 29. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's hard to look at as anything, but regressing that split specifically. And, uh, I said, and, and, uh, Lonnie Chisholm, I mean, other players like this, Lonnie Chisholm, of course, uh, Lonnie Chisholm, Casey McGee. Um, and then I think, you know, briefly we could talk about Mike Moustakis because uh, well, what I is, guess. What's interesting about Moustakis actually is that, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm i chasing an ant around my <laughs> well, car. Killed him. 
I very much liked Podhorser's book. I mean, basically, he cited all the reasons. Uh, there's so many things to dislike about Moustakas's uh, batted ball distribution that it's hard ever to put him in even a decent batting average bucket, I think. And Well, the one thing I will say in his favor is that ever since uh, we didn't have that conversation about his ground ball fly ball mix, uh, his ground ball fly ball mix is actually uh, evened out. So he, when he came, you know, in 2012, he had the, I think it was the worst or, you know, top bottom 10 uh, ground ball per fly ball. So he was hitting everything straight up in the air, had a crazy infield fly ball rate and um, just looked all messed up. And ever since then, he's improved his infield fly ball rate and he's improved, he's improved or uh, quote unquote improved. He's leveled out his swing so that now almost gets a uh, one ground ball for every fly ball. Um, so that's that's a definite improvement. You know, his, his line drive rate has improved every year since then. Uh, his infield fly ball rate has gone down every year since then. So Yeah, but it's still really bad. <laughs> well, the line drive rate is was last year was close to average, but yeah. The no, 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 that's, no, that's good. I'm saying the infield fly ball rate is really bad. It's still really, really bad. It's really bad. The, I it's guess a, the, the combination of the, the, the pop-up percentage has probably decreased more so significantly, and that's obviously really what matters because it's the combination, probably, the fly ball rate and the infield fly ball rate have gone down. So that's really, it's really not a bad combo, but it's but just. It's still, your point is still there. I mean, he's still, yeah. it's still bad. I'm, I'm doing the. I actually need a calculator to do this math, even though it's super obvious one times the other. But uh, it's six percent, six point two percent. The league average was three point seven percent. So he's you know almost twice the pop ups of a normal player. You know who he reminds me of? If you took the name off this, Josh Reddick. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He's Josh Reddick at third base. So if you just put if you change those names out and you put Josh Reddick at third base in your head. You might actually draft him in an AL only league, I think. Yeah, sir. I mean, he's. I drafted Josh Reddick in AL labor last year. Yeah, <laughs> at, at at the right price, any guy is useful. Uh, yeah, I there's think... got there's got to be some use for that playing time. Uh, I mean, you talk, like he's he's such a uh, he's such a pull heavy hitter. Uh, I mean, there's yeah he. The fact that the, I mean, the, the his spray charts, the way they look, the combination of that and the batted ball, it's nice to see that it, it is the batted ball mix has definitely improved. It, it'd be unfair not to give him that. It, it, I don't. But he is twenty six. I mean, it's uh, you know. Is that going to get better? Count on another year or two of improvement, really. Okay. Yeah, and that's so. That's you know, we could be like Steamer seems. Give him the playing time, which it is probably a little unfair to do be, uh, because, but like even that, like 248 batting average is awfully optimistic to me. Yeah, it seems like it a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> and and you throw in, okay, it's like I, I, if you, I'll give you, I'll give you the playing time and the home runs, and still and chop 20 to 25 points off that batting. Well, 20 points off 20 to 25 hit points off batting average. Since his rookie year, right. 2012, he had 242, but I mean, there was been, it's been steady and market decline. I mean, the combination of things where even if uh, the batter ball mix, I mean, even as the batter ball mix has improved, the batting average has dropped. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's kind of a, it's, it's difficult to, to, 
correlate those things entirely. And because I think shifts play a great deal and uh, or at least play somewhat into his results as well, but uh, just says a lot. I, th- I mean, I think something more in the neighborhood of being forgiving like a two thirty batting average. And then I think you subtract playing time and, you know, give him fi- give him the 15 to 19 home runs if you want. But uh, that's being that's like on the high side still because the home runs are going to be there, but it's still a big ballpark and there's not going to be mother, many other hits otherwise. And so the playing times really becomes a concern and then everything else does as well. So hold on. I'm, I've, uh, I'm trying to call up uh, something that, you know, Zimmerman sent me a, a sheet at some point about uh, shifts and uh, so I'm trying to see if I can pull, pull this up here. The, uh, the the number of times guys have shifted, because, I mean, he looks like a total candidate for shift. All of his home runs, Moustakas, all of Moustakas' home runs are just straight down the line. Mm. And uh, all of his ground balls. So there's a lot of, uh, of uh, benefit that you could probably get out of shifting him. So uh, Yeah, I mean, we saw him heavily put, shifted in the postseason. Uh, and I don't, yeah, I don't know that um, – I think Podhorser's blog said that he was like the 13th most shifted player. Oh, there you go. He pulled that for, for Podhorser too. Okay. Um, yeah, so – yeah, okay. So, I, yeah, and that's uh, – and, you know, that isn't probably something that shows up in, uh, in the projections. Yeah, certainly not at all. That's – Steamer is quite educated if it's yanking shift data in there. That would be yeah. – a- so uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna take the under on that uh, batting average too. <laughs> the uh, there were some other what were the other questions that we had um, about strategy or some there were some uh, some mailbag questions. Yes, uh, well, this is and this is a couple of leftover. Th- I mean, I think number one is in- interesting is just I think is somebody. I mean, I would like to get your take on it uh, because you had brought up. You had been asked before, I think on Twitter, this was a couple of months ago, who is the 2015 Michael Brantley? And someone offered the possibility of Christian Yellick, or is it Yelich? Anyway, either way, uh, Yellick is certainly an interesting player. I mean, it's a totally different scenario because he's younger, considerably so, and... Uh, but, I mean, I guess, I, guess they, I guess basically the idea is, is this a guy that can hit... 300 or 320 uh hit 20 home runs and steal 20 to 25 bases kind of thing i guess um that i still i mean to me yellick is a ways from developing the type of power needed to get to that point i mean that's kind of a just a quick and dirty i'm not sure where else to put it but he does he does make good points he does have pretty good plate discipline the strikeout rate is is concerning but uh the plate discipline um is at least as promising uh, it just looks like Ben Revere, man. Yeah. <laughs> if you just look at the batted ball stuff, it's Ben Revere like three three point seven ground balls for fly ball is just so extreme. Yeah. I, mean, I agree. If he could even if we get get that down to two, um, I mean his home runs for fly ball rate for his career twelve and a half percent. So if he could double, you know, uh, the fly balls that he's that he's been hitting. They wouldn't even be that crazy to double the fly balls. 
That would take that would take. So last year he hit 267 ground balls, 78 fly balls. If he had hit 150 fly balls um, and uh, 200, you know, 200 ground balls, basically, um, he'd still have a ground ball uh, friendly uh, uh, mix, and he would have hit seven more home runs. So he would have had 16 last year. Um, I don't know what to say though, because now it's you know almost a thousand plate appearances where he's had this crazy 60 percent ground ball rate. Um, but I do know this: he's 22, and uh, I believe, yeah, ground ball rate actually ages in a in a weird way. You hit fewer and fewer ground balls as you approach your peak. Well, that seems to make sense because your your fly ball rate also kind of goes up as you approach your peak. No, so. Yes, I mean it's part of the it's part of why power peaks when it does. I guess it's part. I mean it's really hard. There's all these different skills involved in hitting that age at different at different levels. I mean, when I found that isolated slugging percentage peaked at 25, 26, you know there was probably speed components in there mm-hmm. because your legs turn a single into a double and so on, whatever. So I kind of want to rerun that with home runs per fly ball. I think that might be the purest measure of power. And if, if I'm saying that out loud right now, then uh, Kristen Yellick has decent power because he has an above-average home run for fly ball rate for his career. Uh, the- so, like, next year, I guess, I would project maybe uh, a 55% ground ball rate. And uh, if that was... Uh, if he had had 6% more um, fly balls this year, he would have had about 24. Huh? About twenty four percent fly balls, and so. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> I'm jumping ahead of you. Apologize. He would have had he would have had twelve, thirteen homers this year, and that's basically what Steamer is putting him into next year. Yeah. Uh, I, but it doesn't it doesn't take much, you know, from that to eighteen, nineteen. You know, it doesn't. You know, it, all it takes is a little bit. You know, a conversation with the hitting coach. He says, "I think you have more power than this." Maybe you should uh, put some more lofts on the ball or, or, you know, not be afraid to. I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to I be flexible enough in my evaluation of the future that these outlier things are seem possible to me, but I don't want to depend on them, right? So the biggest thing is uh, if you're in a redraft league, draft Christian Yelich for, you know, 280, 10, and 20. And... Uh, you know, you can tell people that you wanted 2020 out of them. And if you get 2020, then you say, I told you so. And if you don't, you say, well, I only paid for 1020. Sucker. You can throw the sucker <laughs> in. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of mix on Yellick. I mean, when I talk to other people and some people like him, but some people don't. So I think that the opportunity is still to get in on the, I don't want to say it's not the ground floor because this was the ground floor this past season, but the opportunity is still there. Yeah. To, experience a little bit of profit it's going to be tough in that ballpark to turn uh turn something suddenly into a crazy high home run fly ball rate or like you said to just to expand the power number even if he uh changes the fly ball mix drastically or whatever it is but i mean there's there's more i think there's more to like in him than i i think i initially realized and i i kind of liked him as a player i mean i he's to me he's the most talented of those but I mean, I'm talking just baseball wise. He's a very intriguing player for Miami, um, in the long term. It, 
definitely a different. I mean, another question we could get to is uh, maybe before we go, and I thought this one was interesting: is uh, player viewing Jorge Soler as a keeper, as as a possible keeper? Um, he seems to think uh, this Soler possible sell high player uh, has this high batting average on ball and play. Uh, low line drive percentage. So that, I mean, certainly there's a correlation there, but uh, and, and then wasn't exactly a large sample size, obviously in his debut. Um, but deep points dynasty league. I'm guessing I could get a pretty pretty decent return. I view Solaire as kind of a, one of those top end prospects. Where I mean, I'm generally keeping him. I mean, especially if you're talking a deep league, where I, I'm assuming that means you're keeping a lot of players you're in the teens at least, or it's a full retention type thing where it's, it's, it's predicated on salary or what you sacrifice to keep a guy, something like that. So Lair is like, a, he's a talent. Like he's, he's, it's like a combination of scouts love him. The results love him. And we talked about Solaire in a previous pro, pro a podcast earlier this season. I think it was when his debut came up and you, I, I think Kylie's uh, piece on him kind of, does him a lot of justice as far as you know recognizing the ceiling like I, th- I think that's just he him versus a Javier Baez I was pro- I'm probably too high I still like the talent I, I like what I see and that's about all he passes for me is the eye test because statistically the batting average and the strikeout rate are scary but Soler passes a lot of tests statistically I think as well as scouting wise and like I don't know. I, I would. I. I'd be. I would be thinking that selling at this point might be uh, you putting yourself on the likelier side of getting out too early. Yeah. I. Uh, the, the reason I like him better than uh, Baez, though, is that the the, the whiff rate is, is just much more manageable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just. It's like. Uh, it's. It's like. It's something you've seen before, you know what I mean? Like, it's a whiff rate and a strikeout rate that you can be like, okay, there are other guys that do this. There's nobody else doing what Baez is doing. Um, so, I, I, Baez really needs to figure something out in order to even be a major leaguer at this point for me. Right. Uh, and I know it's not a huge sample size, but it, it, it's too much of a uh, of what it's too much of the worst case scenario of what could have happened based on his minor league stuff. So. With Solaire, I see, okay, this is, I was a little bit worried that his strikeout rate would be a little bit high, but it's totally manageable. 24.5%, 12.5% swing strike rate. Even if he doesn't improve that a lot, he can hit 260, 270. We know he's going to have power. He's probably going to steal some bases. He's going to be an outfielder. In today's environment, that's, uh, that's a top, not, maybe not a, an elite outfielder, but it's a top outfielder. And then we know that since he's improved his strikeout rate in the past, um, that there is this upside. And since he's 22, there is this upside to improve his strikeout rate further, um, you know, consistently put up good batting averages and, um, and, and bust out even beyond 25 homers. So it, I, just, I just feel like he's safer. And I know I don't want to say this just because he hit 292 with five homers and you know, his debut was so much better. I'm not necessarily looking at that. I'm not looking at the five homers. I'm not looking at the 281 ISO in 97 plate appearances. I don't, I mean, it was nice, but I don't care about that. If, if Baez came up, if Baez came up and, and, and had a 100 ISO, but struck out 24% of the time with a 12% whiff rate, I would feel better about Javier Baez right now. Right. Um, so that's why. 
that's why I'm not necessarily selling on Solaire, and that's why I'm not definitely not buying on Baez right now. Right, and let's we can exclude it. Probably this guy would be thankful for it, but we can exclude Baez for his purposes. But I, I mean, I think our recommendation is it, true. You could probably get a nice return for Solaire. I would definitely want one if I if I if you do decide to trade him. I think that's probably. I would I would tend to be wanting to keep him. I guess if you get something where it's like you're if you're sac if you're going for it all and you've already decided Solaire is the piece you can trade. But I mean Solaire could be a contributor to your title run. I think even as early as 2015, where he could be a legit. Steamer has him down for for right. I think that's 25 homers next year. I mean, here I just wanted to, you know, one real quick thing about Baez, swinging strike rate, minimum. <laughs> Minimum 200 play appearances. Is his swinging strike rate higher than uh, league average strikeout rate? No, but almost. <laughs> uh, number one, junior like 21.5% strikeout, swinging strike rate. Uh, higher than, than the average strikeout rate, so that's pretty good. Uh, junior like may not make it in baseball. I don't think there's anybody who, who would uh, argue that with me, that, uh, that he's on the precipice. I don't Second. think even Senior Lake would argue that. <laughs> Javier Baez, 19.1%. I was hoping this would be starker, but it isn't actually. Josh Hamilton is third, 18.9%. Um, but, you know, Josh Hamilton might be a platoon player next year. George Springer, 18.2%. Uh, Mike Zanino, 17.8%. Uh, so you've got a catcher, and you've got George Springer. George Springer is the best argument for, for Javier Baez. George Springer... However, uh, had a really good walk rate uh, and showed more power. So um, it's not all done, I guess. In today's, in today's baseball, a 19.1% swing strike rate is not that outlandish. It's just not what I want. I'm sorry. I'm going to be biased, I guess. I'm going to be wrong about it maybe, but it's just not what I want. <laughs> that is totally understandable because it's like the risk that, the risk that you're paying for is not, or you're, well, put another way into it, the risk is not factored into the price, basically. Yeah. The I mean, likelihood that, that was, he's going to come yeah. through is not that great. If I was in a redraft league and I could get him for a buck and put him on my, ba- on my bench. Surely. Yeah. But that's, that. that's probably not going to happen. Is that going to happen? I don't think it's going to happen. Even after that debut, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, and that's that's actually what's kind of disturbing is it, like I – well, that's it. That's it's kind of disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but somehow he's been immune. But I guess you know, the scouts uh, are 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 strong. You know, people believe in them. Well, they do have a little bit of a track record, but they've also failed us quite often, and that's fifty percent. Yeah, that's like fifty percent of baseball is made up of guys that scouts thought looked at them and said, eh. Fifty <laughs> percent of the time, it works every time. Or what, yeah, like right. that. <laughs> uh, I think that is going to do it for this episode of the Sleeper <laughs> and the Bust. <laughs> Before I say anything that gets me into trouble with all my scout friends. Oh no, 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 not. Uh, I guess me. Yeah, actually, uh, un- unwittingly, I'm doing you a service for, <laughs> yeah. for, future, for future interviews. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for joining us, Eno. Thanks for taking some time away from the nursery, and uh, it was it was fantastic. Uh, some excellent analysis. 
And I think we have a nice overview of what third base looked like coming out of 2014 and what a little bit of what it's going to look like in 2015. It's quite exciting. I'm ready to draft third baseman already. The rest of them, not so much. <laughs> and uh, again, I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Uh, we look forward to servicing you again in the near future. This has been episode number 176 of The Sleeper and the Bust. Thank you.